Now that my microphone's on and the sound booth, their hearts are going back to the regular pace. Uh, good morning and welcome to everyone today. Uh, I'd like you to turn your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1, please. Colossians chapter 1. And I want to read verses 16 through 22. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 22. Colossians 1, 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing that we can have this morning in your word. We ask that you would help us to understand, Lord, the importance of the things that are written here. And uh, Lord, help us to give the attention that your word deserves this morning. I pray that you would help us to understand what you've got for us this morning. Please uh, help us to see Jesus Christ, we ask in his name. Amen. There are many um, Australians who have the feeling that they don't need Jesus Christ. I wonder if you were one of those uh, or if you've spoken to people who have that feeling, I just don't need Jesus Christ. Uh, it is quite difficult to share the gospel or, or share the message of Jesus Christ with someone who is apathetic, someone who, who doesn't care or someone who doesn't see the importance of the gospel or faith or religion. Sometimes people claim to have no interest in religion or faith or God. They're just trying to live a life, uh, perhaps a life that is uh, well fitted to this, the society around them. They're trying to be a good citizen, but they just don't have much of a concern or much of an interest in faith. They can be quite nice people. Often they can be very polite about the way and they say, I'm just not quite interested about Jesus Christ or church things and so they make the expression thanks but no thanks it's not for me i wonder if you've been in that situation yourself where you've said thanks but no thanks i don't want jesus christ or perhaps you've tried to share with somebody and you've gotten that response from them it's not really my cup of tea are we to conclude from those sort of interactions that people are just made differently some people have a natural inclination towards uh, things of faith, uh, towards finding out about the reasons for this world, and some people just don't. Some people have uh, no inclination and never will have any inclination 
and have no need for someone like Jesus Christ? Is it true that the gospel just won't be relevant to some people? Well, that is not the case. It is not the case that the gospel is just not relevant to some people. But how do we know that? And how do we show that? How do we know that the gospel is relevant to every single person? And how do we show people that the gospel is relevant to them? Well, this morning, I want to do that through looking at the doctrine of reconciliation. The things that Jesus Christ has done to show that the gospel is relevant to each and every person. As we've been through the doctrines of salvation, we've asked three questions. And the first question we ask with each doctrine is what? What is reconciliation? Well, let's go back to Colossians chapter 1 and we'll start from verse 16 and we'll build the doctrine. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. For by him were all things created. Let's pause there. For by him were all things created. We might assume that that's speaking about the Father, but it's not. It's speaking about the Son of God. That's the context of Colossians chapter 1. It's talking about the image of the invisible God. Verse 15, the firstborn of every creature, that's Jesus Christ. For by him were all things created. Everything in this world was created by Jesus Christ. But not only by Jesus Christ, verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. All things in this world were created by Jesus Christ and they were created for Jesus Christ. And you know that that is true even if you don't believe it. Do you realize that faith in things doesn't actually change the true nature of the things themselves? You cannot believe something that is true and that doesn't make it untrue, just means you don't believe it. So whether you believe it or not, Jesus Christ is your creator. And more than that, you were created for Jesus Christ. He made you for himself. And so human life, all human life, whether it's the human life of a Christian, the human life of an atheist, or the human life of I can't be bothered to care whether I'm a Christian or an atheist, all human life was created by and for Jesus Christ. We find our origin in Jesus. We find our purpose in Jesus. And that's why all people seek answers to questions that Uh, The the mere naturalistic processes don't suggest to us. Uh, Someone who is merely the cause of accident that doesn't come forth from a creator God, someone who is merely the product of this world through evolution and that alone, don't ask questions of purpose, morality, justice. These things are too big for the mere natural world to present to our minds. It is because we were made to exist with a God consciousness that we ask questions like this. Our mind is bigger than the world around us. But it's also by him that all things consist. Notice in verse 17, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. Not only did Jesus make everything and everyone 
All things were made for him, but also all things consist by him. All things consist by him. That word speaks about Jesus Christ tying all things together. He is the glue that sticks the universe. But more than that, he is the central theme of the universe. He is the unifying feature of all things. He is what gives the whole universe a central meaning. He is the reason why we can have one meaning to everything. And so in this context, imagining, uh, understanding that all things were created by Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ gives the whole universe its unifying meaning, we read verse 20. It says, of Jesus Christ, it says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Let's just pause there. We have a statement in verse 20 that says that he made peace through the blood of his cross. What we learn here is that the creator, Jesus Christ, had to make peace with his creation. And that tells us that there is a problem with the relationship. The people that God has made, those who are made for Jesus Christ, have a problem in their relationship with him. And so he had to reconcile those people to himself. There is no need of reconciliation where there's no enmity, where there's no separation. Reconciliation is only required when there's a problem with the relationship. And so what we find is those people who are made by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ, who find their purpose in Jesus Christ, they have a problem with Jesus Christ. There is an issue in their relationship with him. In verse 21, we read more about that. It says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. The word alienated there is made up of two Greek words. One means apart from and the other means another. And so an alienation, alienation means to be apart from another, separated from another person. In this case, it is separated from the God who made us for himself. And not only are we separated from that God who made us for himself, but we read there that we are enemies in our minds by wicked works. Not only are we separated from our God, but we are enemies with our God. It's not just that someone has taken us away from God and we're both longing to get back together. No, we're separated from God and we are enemies in our minds towards that God that we are separated from. And here's the trouble. Here is the trouble with people who think that they can be neutral towards Jesus Christ. That it's just not for me, this religion thing. Here's the problem. People aren't neutral towards God. They never have been. People are not just neutral towards God. The person who sees Jesus Christ as irrelevant is the person who rejects their creator. And the person who refuses to acknowledge that they have offended their creator the person who says oh jesus christ is just not for me is the person who says jesus didn't make me 
and I have not offended Jesus Christ. That's not a neutral position. By wicked works, we have become separated or hostile towards our God. Now, if we are made by Christ, we are made for Christ, then we are accountable to Jesus Christ in our thoughts and actions. You see, the way that we got here, what we believe about our origins matters. Because if you're not made by Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ is not your creator, then you are not accountable to him. You have no responsibility to do what he asks. But if he is your maker, if you were made for him, then you can't be neutral to him. He's your creator. No Christian can ever bother me with thoughts of sin or judgment if I was never made by Jesus Christ. I can be neutral. That's fine. But that is not the case. The truth of the matter is that we have made our creator our enemy by wicked works. Your regrets aren't just your regrets. They're sins against the creator God who made you for himself. And that brings us to the point of reconciliation. There is this estrangement, there is this enmity between God and sinners. And that brings us to this question, whose responsibility is it to reconcile? Imagine this, if you've got a relationship with somebody else, say you've got a neighbor, and that neighbor has decided to dump toxic waste over the back fence into your backyard. Your dog gets quite sick and dies, and all sorts of nasty things happen to your family. Whose responsibility is it to make that relationship right? The person who offended, naturally, isn't it? They've done the wrong thing, they need to get things right. But here's the wonder of biblical reconciliation. While it is usually the offender who gets things right, it was Jesus Christ who reconciled us to God. He was the one who took the initiative. Have a look in verses 20 and 22. Verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. That could be a, a statement towards those who have died and those who are still here. But all things are to be reconciled back to Jesus Christ. Then verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So Jesus Christ has brought us back to God. He reconciled us with God by two things. In verse 20, the body of his cross. Sorry, the blood of his cross, verse 20. And verse 22, the body of his flesh. So how did Jesus bring us back to God? Well, he did it by his body and his blood. He gave them to make peace between us and our God to pay for all of the wicked works that have made us the enemies of God. And the wonder is that he did all of that while we were still sinners. While we were still shaking our fists at God, he gave his body and his blood to pay for our sin. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has shown us how much he loves us because he reached out while we were 
his enemies. And so by his sacrifice, Jesus has removed the obstacle so that we can come back and have peace with God. We say with regard to the doctrine of reconciliation that Jesus, by his sacrifice, has rendered all mankind savable. He's taken away the obstacle between us and God so that anyone can return to God. And this is doctrine of reconciliation. Sinners became hostile towards God, but Jesus Christ came to those sinners to remove every obstacle out of the way so that they could come back to God again. He reached out by removing the obstacle to that peace. And so now anyone can come to God through Jesus Christ because he's paid the price for their sin. He has removed that obstacle of the offense so that they can be reconciled once again. It's not right for us to say or to think that Jesus pays the price for our sin when we believe, because it's not true. Jesus has already paid the price for your sin before you believe. He took the initiative. He paid the price. And for some people who will never believe, he has even paid for their sin. He's even made it possible for them to be reconciled who will never choose to be so. When a person hears about Jesus Christ and then politely declines Jesus Christ, it is anything but polite. Because that person has offended their creator. That person has heard about the message of reconciliation where Jesus has paid the price for their sin when they themselves are still an enemy and they've said, thank you very much for sending your only begotten son to die a painful death on my behalf, but I'm not interested, thank you. That's not polite. That is refusing to receive a very gracious act. You see, the gospel is relevant to all people because all people were made by him and all people were made for him. The gospel is relevant to all people because Jesus Christ came to pay the price for all people's sin. And because he has died to bring all people back to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn there with me this morning, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. person might think, well, it's all well and good for you to believe that Jesus is the Savior and that he died for your sins. I'm glad you've got that faith. I hope that it brings you security and I hope that it's good for you. But that's not the way that a person can look at this situation. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead. Jesus didn't just die for the Christians who would love to find faith in him. He died for all. He died for people who don't believe in him. He died for people who don't care about him. And that shows that all of those people are dead in their sins as well. Every person needs the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on their behalf. Christ is relevant to everyone because all people are dead in their sins. So what do we have to do? What do we have to do about this situation? Well, Christ has done all that is required. There is nothing left 
for us to do to achieve our salvation, but he's placed one condition on our finding peace with God. He has reconciled us to God in that he has taken away the the problem of sin that stood between us, but he places one condition on our reconciliation with him. And we find that in John chapter 3 and verse 16. John 3.16. We're going to stay here for just a moment. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God places one condition upon our reconciliation back to him. Even though God has done everything required, he says that you must believe. Even though Jesus has already died for your sins, while you're still an enemy, you must believe. You must accept that Christ has done that for you. And you must place your faith in him as the only one who can save you. If you don't do that, then you miss out on receiving the blessing of that reconciliation that Jesus has won for us. God won't save anyone against their will. You can choose not to accept what Christ has already done for you. And some people do, many people do. Some people do thinking that it's just not for me. But if you do, Don't pretend that it's just not your cup of tea, that it's just not relevant to you. It's something for those religious people over there. Don't pretend that. Because you are deciding to remain an enemy of God. That same God who, when offended, decided to come and die for your sin before you had done anything to come back to him. Remember that. Christ has already completed your salvation. You just need to receive him. And so reconciliation, what is reconciliation? God has rendered all mankind savable through the cross so that we might come to him by faith. That's reconciliation. Second question, and the next two are much shorter. Why? What is reconciliation? Well, God has rendered all mankind savable through the cross, but why? Why would he reconcile us? In other words, why didn't he just let us go? If we became God's enemies and walked away from him, why did he come after us? Why would he bother? He would save himself considerable cost if he just let us go. Another question that we might ask is, why would he want us back? If we've walked away from him, we've been created by him, created for him, and then we walked away as his enemies and said, I don't need him anymore, Why would he care to have us back? We're still there in John chapter 3 and verse 16, aren't we? Let's read that first bit again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's our answer, isn't it? Why would God want us back? Why would he spend such great cost in reconciling us to himself? Well, simply God loves those that he made. We're not just like bricks to him. We're not just robots. 
God loves us. He loves his creation and he wants us back. Romans 5.8, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love to us in sending Jesus Christ for our sin. God wants you to know this morning that he loves you. And that should change your life. God loves me. God loves me enough that when I walked away as an enemy of him, from him, and I was his creation, he sent his son to come after me to pay the price for my sin. God loves me. And God will always love me. Christian, don't ever get sick of hearing that. God loves me. He sent Jesus Christ to die for me. How can we stay apathetic towards the God who made us? Towards the God against whom we have sinned and then the God who loved us so much to send his son to pay the price for our sin. We can't stay neutral towards a God like that and remain innocent. Apathy towards a God like that is not a neutral stance. He does all of this because he wants us to be at peace with him. And if we think, I don't need Jesus then it really shows that we are hostile in our minds towards God, not neutral at all. Thirdly and finally, what for? Why would God reconcile us? What is the point of reconciliation? Well, let's have a look over at 1 John chapter 1. This gives us one answer. What does God reconcile us to, we could say? 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. One result of reconciliation that God intended when he sent his son to reconcile us is that we should have fellowship. And there are two kinds of fellowship spoken about here in John chapter 1. Verse 6 speaks about fellowship with him. That is fellowship with God. God reconciled us so that he could have a relationship with us. It's pretty special, isn't it? God wants to have fellowship with me, just something that he's made, but he wants fellowship with me. Second kind of fellowship is in verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. God reconciled us so that we could have fellowship with each other. So that all together as we all come back to God in a right relationship with him, we can nudge each other in the side and say, how good is this? <laughs> Look at this relationship that we've got with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this church environment that we've got, which is such a blessing for us to enjoy. Look at all the things that we have as believers. And isn't it wonderful? God reconciled us so that we might have fellowship with him and with one another. We're not reconciled to live in perpetual separation from God. We're not reconciled to live in perpetual separation from one another. And there's a challenge, Christian, this morning. God did not reconcile you 
to day by day be struggling in sin and being separated in your relationship to your God. He didn't save you for that. He reconciled you to be close to him. And you can't do that while you keep wandering away after idols and sin and the like. God saved you to be close to him. And God saved us to have fellowship with one another. He saved us so that we might be one with him in God. Not so that we would bicker as the church. (laughs) So that we would spend our time separated from one another. That's the opposite of reconciliation. Not just from God, but also being reconciled to one another in Jesus Christ. He saved us to be together with him. And so we have to recognize that holiness in the life of a Christian affects our fellowship with God and it affects our unity as a church. And we need to realize that and protect that. Now, going back to wicked works does not unreconcile us. It doesn't make the work of Jesus Christ of none effect and so we become unsaved again. That's not the case at all. Once we are his, we are always his. But if we walk in those wicked works, again, it prevents us from walking in the fellowship that God has designed for us, both with him and with other people. And so God has reconciled us in order that we might have fellowship with him, in order that we might have fellowship with one another. But also 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21. So something else that God wants for those that he has reconciled to himself. It's a very simple little verse. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's an amazing situation to think about. Disturbing. That God would go to such lengths to bring people back to himself that they would just get distracted and go and start playing with dumb idols. Bits of stone, bits of wood, bits of timber. But think about people like us in our own day and age. Reconciled to God. Such an incredible opportunity for us to spend time with God and with one another and in his work. And yet we waste our time on so many things that are pointless. We allow idols into our heart. Things that we worship more than God or things that take the place of God. It's universal criminal work. (laughs) We're going against the very act of reconciliation when we wander away from God and spend our time on other things. And so God brought us back to himself that he might have fellowship with us. Let's not just count the blessing and not enjoy the result. Jesus saved us to be near to himself. Let's realize the potential that we have in our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the extent of your love. Lord, we can't answer the question of why you would love us, but Lord, we know that you did these things because you love us. Father, help us to count on your love for us, even though we might not be able to see why. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing that your word assures us and promises us of your love. Father, we ask that you would help us to enjoy the fellowship that we might have with you day by day. 
And Lord, as we draw near to you, help us to experience a more close relationship with one another. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the things that you have done, even just through our salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.